every Wednesday night in my house, a life group meets. When we get together, we do uh, much of what was described up here. Uh, we always eat. We have a meal, and then uh, after the meal, we jump into God's Word together. We do the study connected to the sermon from the week. And then once we finish that, the men uh, meet together, the women meet together separately It's a time to dig down deeper and to uh, hold one another accountable to pray with and for each other. Wendy and I really couldn't imagine the flow of our week without this this meeting. We love the people who come into our home. We love being able to sit with them and study together and do life together and follow Christ together. This morning we're talking about uncommon commonness. You see, commonness is uncommon. Uh, We are a politically divided nation. We are a racially often divided people. Uh, We often uh, divide ourselves along socioeconomic lines, along lines of education and otherwise. And yet when we come to the book of Acts and to the early church, there was this uncommon commonness. What did it look like? Well, the groups that comprised the early church were the groups of people who lived in that day. Uh, There were Pharisees. Uh, The Pharisees were religious. They had taken the, the law of the Old Testament and expanded it to many, many, many other rules and added to it. There were the Sadducees, The Sadducees were the wealthy aristocratic class. They uh, 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 did not believe in the resurrection and often sparred with the Pharisees over that. There were the Essenes. The Essenes were the monks of the day. They lived alone and uh, 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 studied the Old Testament law as a group without much interaction with anyone else. And then there were the Amarets. The Amarets were the common day laborers. They showed up in the morning, sought work, got work, and finished work, and then they would buy their food and the very next day do the same thing. And what may not have occurred to you is that the early church was comprised of all of the above. Uh, There were Pharisees who had come to faith in Christ, Sadducees who had believed Jesus, Essenes who now follow Jesus, Amorets, and now they're all together in one church being the people of God together. And they had this uncommon commonness. This week you'll have a few opportunities. We're going through a series that talks about Uh, what it looks like uh, to us for you to be a disciple, to discover who Christ is. And today we're talking about to belong, to belong to a body of believers. What does it really look like to be part of a local church? So this afternoon at three, you've heard there's an opportunity. If you can't make it, just on your connection card, write Life Group and uh, check that box and we'll be in touch You'll have an opportunity Wednesday night to trek down the road just a little ways to Greenlee Baptist Church and join other churches uh, across our county coming together for the National Day of Prayer. This morning, 
Didn't expect him to be here, but there was a gentleman in our early service. I wish you could have met him. You see, it was several years ago when we needed to build a youth building. And, and just last week, almost 100 kids and their uh, leaders met next door for kids' worship. Last Sunday night, I spoke uh, in youth as Adrian, our youth pastor, is on sabbatical. I spoke in youth, and we had to carry out chairs to fit all the students in last Sunday night. We didn't have a building at that time to meet in, and we decided we needed to build one. I received a phone call from this man. He's not a member here. He's a builder in the community, and he said, I'd like to sit down and talk with you. He's now in his 80s. We sat down in a restaurant here in town, and he looked across the table at me, and he said, I've got a building crew, and I love what you're doing there, and our crew would like to put your building in the drive for you. That's our donation. We'll provide all the labor. We'll get this building in the drive for you. James Davis is his name. James doesn't attend here. He's not a member here. He's a member of another church in this county. I had no clue he was going to be at the early service, but he was. He endured our music. And I was able to honor him among all these people. Why is it that James, who worships at a place that's totally different than we are, that does things totally different than we do, why does he call me up? Why do we sit down? Why does he offer to do what he does? Uncommon commonness. So let's look at what that looks like. Number one, common faith. Acts 4.32, now the full number of those who what? What is the word class? Believed. Let's try that again. The full number of those who what? Believed. Were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. The full number of those who believed. Well, this word belief is huge. But the word common is what causes us to look at the word believe. Acts 2.44, just two chapters earlier, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. So let me talk about the word belief because it is the word belief that enables them to have everything in common. What does it mean to believe? All right, Paul writing in Romans 10, 9 and 10, these are those famous verses that have been used many, many years to share the gospel. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one confesses and with the heart one believes. However, if you extract that from its historical context, and you forget that Paul indeed is talking to the Romans, and the Romans confessed one man to be Lord. And who was that man? He was the emperor. They confessed the emperor to be Lord. And if they confessed anyone else to be Lord, there was trouble. And Paul speaks to them and says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, it was costly I would ask you the question this morning, 
Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord? The word simply means boss, master. And if so, what did you have to deny in order to confess him? What did you have to give up? What did you have to say no to in order to say yes to the lordship of Jesus Christ? For the Romans, it was the emperor, and it was costly. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, this is the other side of the equation that we find missing today. I've said this many times. I think it could be repeated every week, and it wouldn't sink into us. Some of my students in my New Testament class wrote papers on, on Paul's view of the cross. And here is what Paul said. Paul, in his talk about the cross, references Deuteronomy and says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Paul is saying that you believe in your heart that the one who hung on the electric chair of the day is indeed Lord. You believe that he is Lord, and you believe that God raised that one from the dead. What I'm saying to you is that in our way of thinking today, it doesn't cost a lot to follow Jesus, does it? It isn't costly. You're most likely applauded. You're most likely celebrated if you choose today to follow Jesus. Do you know what that brings then into our thinking? It must. Are you simply assenting to an intellectual reality that you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Or are you saying, yes, I'm following Jesus? A common faith in Christ himself. That common faith produces uncommon results, and so it results in an uncommon or a common message. Look at this, verse 33, and with great power to the apostles, or the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They had one message, and that message was Jesus Christ. That was it. No other message, no other agenda, just Jesus. How do we know? How do we know they drilled down and only proclaimed and preached Jesus Christ? Well, in the, just in this same chapter, uh, John and Peter are called before the Sanhedrin, the uh, council, the Pharisees, uh, and they're called before them and told never to preach again. And what do they do immediately? They preach again. Their message is so compelling that they refuse to not preach again. So there's persecution from without, the gospel goes forward. But then there's problems from within. This is crazy. In the very next chapter after this, chapter five, there are two people, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira sell some land and they decide to bring the money to the church, no problem. But what they do is they confer husband and wife with one another and they decide that they will tell Peter when they bring the money that they sold the land for one amount and then they will actually keep part of the money back for themselves. They could have done that. 
The problem wasn't keeping part of the money for themselves. The problem was lying. And so they conspire together. Sapphira goes in <laughs> and she tells Peter. And Peter looks at her and says, you're lying. And boom, she falls dead. Yeah. I mean, what, a, what kind of worship service would that be? The basket goes by. Boom, you die. Well, evidently didn't give enough. All of a sudden, people down the row are pulling wallets out. You know, just like, what does it take to not be in that category? Then Sapphira comes in, uh, or then Ananias comes in, husband, a few hours later. They've already buried his wife, didn't think to tell him. All right, already buried her, it's not on Facebook yet. So nobody knows. So Ananias comes in, tells the same lie to the same apostle. Peter looks at him and said, listen, the, the men who carried your wife out, they're waiting for you. Boom, he falls dead. They carry him out. The next Sunday, the offering was amazing. But seriously, trouble from within. What did Peter and John do? They kept preaching. One message. One message. Get to Acts chapter 6. You've got some prejudice going on. There are Hellenistic widows. There are uh, Jews who speak Greek, have Greek customs. And just in case you think prejudice is a new phenomenon, no. This is weeks removed from the ascension of Jesus. As they're distributing food, they're going, oh, they hear the accent, right? They can tell. They hear the Greek language. They skip that widow. Incredible, isn't it? Two or three weeks out. Prejudice. What do they do? They appoint deacons so that the apostles can do two things. Pray, preach. Why? They, they had a common message. And they dare not veer from that message. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul said to the Corinthians, For I resolved to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Like he said, I resolved to know nothing but Jesus so when you come to Starting Point at Grace, many of you have come recently. If you haven't, you should come. Great next step if you're considering uh, Grace as your home uh, uh, church. I talked for a few minutes about this thing, beliefs, convictions, and preferences. Let me tell you what I mean. Beliefs are central and essential for the faith. Beliefs are hills we die on. And here at Grace... There aren't loads of them, but they're important. What are the heels we die on here at Grace? The authority, the inerrancy of the word of God. We believe the Bible is, the, is God's word from front to back, and it is our guide and authority for living. We believe in one God. We believe in his son, Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. We believe that you are saved by grace alone and faith alone through Christ alone. We believe that God is the author and the finisher of our salvation. We believe that Jesus Christ will personally and visibly return in glory to the earth. 
that we believe. Those are the heels on which we die as a church. But then we have some convictions. What are convictions? Convictions are personal and everyone doesn't have to share them. So we as a church have convictions that the church right down the road will not share. For example, you may have noticed that one of our convictions is that almost all of our singing, all of us does. We seldom have someone singing a solo or a duet on the stage. Not that we never do it. It's just that our conviction is that our worship should be all of us and there should be an audience of one and his name is Jesus Christ. So we come into this place and we all sing almost all the songs up to him. It's a conviction of ours. There are churches that do solos and choir specials and all kinds of things. Good for them. It's wonderful. They ought to do what God has convicted them in their hearts to do. Praise the Lord. It's just simply a conviction of ours. That's all. The moment we expect someone else to adopt that, we become legalist. The moment we do that. And then there are preferences. What are they? Preferences are typically issues of style. And everyone does not have to agree with them. Not at all. Right, so here at Grace, a preference of ours is to dress down rather than up. It's just a preference. That's all it is. It's just a preference. So in another church, in another context where the pastor may wear a robe, where, where, where the uh, choir may be robed, where the people may put on, as we say in the South, their Sunday finest to come to church, good for them. We take no issue with that at all. It's simply a preference here. But do you know what the reality is, church? Most churches fight over preferences. That's where people part ways. That's where people get uh, uh, angry at one another. It's over preferences. When there are some things worth dying for, but their beliefs. That keeps the message, the message, and it works. It really does, all right? So we don't do it because it works, but it works. For example, if I say, just do it, what company comes to your mind? Nike, right? One message that they've had for many, many years. If you see someone with a white mustache, you ask what question? Got milk, right? And this is for old people, all right? Not many of us in the room, but this is for old people. If I say, where's the beef? You answer, what restaurant? Wendy's, yes, the best commercial of all time. You answer Wendy's, one message. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We have a common faith that leads us to proclaim a common message, and it is all deeply rooted in a common love. Let's look at this. 
Verse 34, 35, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. A common love. Now, lest you think this is some kind of early communistic community, uh, Luke, who uh, uh, wrote the book of Acts, makes it clear, for as many as were owners of lands, they still owned them, but they sold them if they thought they should. Well, why was this a big need? Why did this matter? Here's why. When many Jews came to faith in Christ, they lost everything. They were ostracized by their family. They lost their livelihoods. As a matter of fact, by 68 AD, almost all Jewish believers had fled Jerusalem. It was not an easy time to be a Christian. By the time Paul writes 2 Corinthians, He is asking them, the wealthy Corinthian believers, to give money to send back to the Jerusalem church because they are in such dire straits. That isn't the case with most of us today. We worship freely. You don't pay a cost Typically, to come to Christ, perhaps if you're in college or a public school setting, you follow Jesus and you might get laughed at or made fun of, but you won't lose your livelihood, you won't lose your life, Uh, but that was the case then. It's the case all over the world today. Christians are persecuted. So then that begs the question, how might this apply to us? I go to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were in danger of falling away. And I would say to some of you this morning that life has dealt you whatever kind of blow it has, and you're in danger of falling away. You're discouraged this morning. You're frustrated. You are angry. You are suffering, whatever it may be. Listen to these words of the writer of Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Please hear me. You will never drift toward the truth. You will always drift away from it. Always away. 3, 12 through 13, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Did you get that? Take care, brothers, believers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. It is possible to come to Christ in your heart. You say, how does it get there? The writer answers the question, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another. How often? Every day. Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will harden your heart. 
It just works a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And those of you who have once proclaimed the greatness and the wonderfulness of Jesus can commit a sin and then another and then another and then another until your conscience is seared, your uh, uh, sensitivity to the Spirit is null, and you no longer feel badly for the sin in which you live. We drift away from God, not toward him. We drift into sin, not out of it. Hebrews 6, 11, and 12, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. Notice these words, pay closer attention to one, take care, 3, 12, uh, earnestness, 6, 11, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's a danger of sluggishness, of faith. Sometimes I think in a church like ours, which preaches and proclaims the grace of God, unapologetically, that, that we indeed are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, can miss the reality that those who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, can become hardened to sin and drift. So Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Please hear me. Please hear me. If you struggle with sin, struggle with another believer with your sin. College students, listen to me. It's easy to isolate yourself in your dorm room and commit sin alone and, and wallowing guilt alone. No, no. If you struggle with sin, struggle with sin with another believer who can help you struggle against it so that your heart does not become hardened by its deceitfulness. Repeated, unconfessed sin hardens the hearts heart draws you away from the Lord and before you know it you're out in a sea of sin unaffected by the waters that are now drowning you that's why we do life groups that's why That's why we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's why. That's why you need to plug in. That's why you need accountability. That's why. If, if you somehow think, ah, I got this. I, I'm not sure that I need that myself. Well, you... I say with great grace and boldness, somehow think that what Jesus did by choosing the 12 was perhaps a mistake, or at least an unnecessary 
move. So we do that in a small context. We do it in a larger one too. It was just a few weeks ago that I asked you to pray and to give. And you did both. I reached out to Scott asking if he would bring his crew this morning. And so Scott, if you guys will come up, I just want you to see them. Angela isn't with Scott this morning. Um, This is Scott Helms and uh, one, two, three, four, five of his nine children. And the ninth is on the way, right? Yes, Yes, the ninth is in China. Angela and two of the other children are in China getting their ninth child. But it was a few weeks ago that really what we would think would be the unthinkable happened. You see, May Lee has muscular dystrophy. She's down here wheeling herself around, doing an incredible job. And uh, she uh, ended up in pediatric intensive care on every kind of machine imaginable to keep her alive. While she was in pediatric intensive care, Cade, who is in sixth grade, right, Cade, at West Middle, became ill. And I'll let Scott tell you that story of how that happened. There you go, Scott. Came back, we got him, we took him to the to the doctor, and the doctor said he's really sick. He probably needs to get to 
committed to the hospital and went to the Lincoln Center to the ER and just let them check him and probably living. Well, we got to the ER and they felt like it was just dehydration and, and maybe lingering as uh, lingering as of the flu and some other other ailments going on there. So they gave him some IV and sent him home. And um, that night in early morning, about three o'clock or four o'clock, he took a much worse turn. He feverish bite, really bad. He threw up, um, and Angela went back to the hospital, and I was there with, with a couple that were behind because they wanted to go to school the last day before spring break. And, um, so I got them to school and, and came back, and I let him sleep, and when I got back, he was just getting worse by the, by the minutes and hours, it seemed. And he would talk to me a little bit and, and try to get him to drink and eat a little bit because you know, it's really important to keep him hydrated, but he just wouldn't do any of that. And then we had a doctor's appointment at 1, and, I could get him there, you know, he quit talking to me. He 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 wouldn't respond. He would awake, but he wouldn't wouldn't answer, wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't tell me his name or my name or anything. So this time I'm getting really nervous, really scared. So I got Angie on the phone. She said, Go ahead and take him to the hospital. Take him right now back to the ER and tell him to check him for meningitis. Uh, so we get there and she's on the way down and we're in the hospital and he's just not getting any better, not doing anything, still not talking. Uh, starts to have seizures while we're in the ER. And we're just, you know, really, really struggling, just trying to keep it together and, and wondering what to do and, and what's happening. And the doctor does check him for, for meningitis and, and he comes back in about 20 minutes and said, yeah, it's, it's, it's meningitis. We've already got PICU and Ash will call. Got an ambulance on the way. Um, so we, we're just beside ourselves and not knowing how in the world you know, we're going to be able to cope with one in the hospital struggling and now we're going to have, have two. Uh, but we got him over there and um, he was three doors down from May Lee so we kind of wore out a path back and forth between those two picture rooms. Uh, uh, but it was, it was something I wouldn't want any parent obviously to endure. But um, no doubt in my mind through the glorious grace of our Lord and Savior, you guys, and all the prayers from our church family and our family and other churches and orphans, volunteers, and, and workers halfway around the world that still know Maylee and keep up with her through Facebook and, and ask questions. You know, people all, literally all around the world were praying. Um, we have no doubt in our mind that it's through those prayers that, that God granted those issues and these two are evidence of, of God's answered prayers and, and his power and his glory, and he deserves all that power and honor and glory this morning. We just want to take a minute to say thank you. Uh, many of you we see uh, may not know your name or your face every time we see you, but we do appreciate you. We love you, and we thank you, and we're grateful to you for all that you've done and you're continuing to do. We're getting meals. Angie's in China, so we're still eating well, as you can tell. Uh, we're grateful for that. So um, many, many blessings that this Lord has, has brought our way through this, through this uh, thing that we've had to endure. But we appreciate you and we love you and we're thankful. And uh, this is Maylee, this is Cade, this is Jet. We adopted Jet five years ago also with Maylee. Uh, this is our, our daughter Harper. This is little Lucy. And as my father-in-law would say, the 
pray for Leo and Lux. She's, she's big by then. Angie's in, in China right now. Leo's been keeping up with her on Facebook and, and, and uh, through that. And Tanner is with her. He's our oldest. Hayes, Parker's twin, is over there with her. And Xander will be a newest member that will be here on Mother's Day. So wow. So for those of you who struggled to get your uh, kid to church this morning, <laughs> he did this along with this mama right here, I think. Yeah. And I want to share one thing uh, that was incredibly moving was when uh, I came to see Cade and to see him lying in bed, unable to talk, no communication for, gosh, 36 yeah. hours, yeah. 36 hours. And uh, tell what happened, and we'll be done at about 11.30 that night. Yeah, as, as I said earlier, he, he got worse on Friday morning, and, um, and then I called him, she said, get him on to, to the ER, and, and he, he quit talking to me, he quit responding to me. He was awake, but he wouldn't answer me, he wouldn't talk to me, he wouldn't say his name, and wouldn't tell me my name, he just, he wouldn't respond at all. And like I said, we got to the ER, and he got worse and worse, and he started having seizures, and, and he wouldn't talk to mom, he wouldn't get him to, to Asheville in the ambulance, and, and he goes all Friday night, and they, they hooked him up to all these antibiotics and IVs and, and monitoring, you know, his condition, and he's just writhing in the bed, just cannot get comfortable. It's excruciatingly painful to watch your child be uncomfortable, much less, you know, wondering if they'll ever, ever talk to you again. Um, and many of you have, have suffered or How old are you? He said, 12. So where do you go to school? Do you have a dog? And what's the dog's name? It was the most precious few words I ever heard any of our child say, any children say. It was, it was again, through, through your love and your mercy and your grace and your prayers. And you don't need any more love our, our, our Lord and Savior that, that, that it came through that. But it was, it was something special and remarkable to go 36 hours and the things that go through your head. In 36 minutes, much less 36 hours of, of what might be, you know, facing your child. So we love you and we appreciate you and we're thankful. And, and the financial contribution that you guys have made is going to be a tremendous help. And um, we're just 
beyond words and, and what we can say and think and during that time, I was sending texts to you, emails, asking you to pray. We were praying together as a church. Uh, we came around to give. As Scott just mentioned, you gave almost $7,000 uh, in an offering to bless them. Um, and uh, you continue to give financially to bless them. Uh, as you could imagine, having nine children, uh, it, you know, cost a their, their grocery bill is probably most people's house payment. Um, and so uh, we are grateful to the Lord. This is what the church does when the church comes together around folks. And so we're going to give May Lee the last word. And uh, so is there anything you want to say? Uh, by the way, she had a bow on in the hospital bed. And say yes to the dress was on. Like it was on the TV, and I discovered that's like one of her faves, and uh, she uh, can't wait to, uh, to, to have like all the glitz. I mean, she's wearing high heels. She's the cutest thing. Anything you want to say? Thank you. And uh, you are so welcome. Yes. Sweet thing. So why don't we do this? Would you stand together? And uh, uh, we have one message, uh, a common faith a common message, and a common love. And so let's sing the doxology together. If you're unfamiliar, if you're new to the church, many of you are, uh, it's just a simple chorus that says, uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's sing that together. <laughs> 